Well, happy Easter, church. So glad that once again you can invite us into your homes or wherever you are so that we can worship the Lord, so that we can celebrate Resurrection Weekend, that Jesus has risen from the dead. Hey, right now I want to invite you uh, to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 19. Today we're going to consider the last of our uh, three services uh, through this Easter series called Redefining Happiness. Today we're going to look specifically at Matthew chapter 19, verse 27 to verse 30. As you're turning your attention to your copy of the scriptures, I'm going to turn my heart to God and pray on our behalf now. Father, thank you for this uh, holy time that we have to be able to look at the scriptures. For 20 centuries, uh, Christians across the globe have been able to I remember this same unique event, the culmination of human history, when the Son of God was put to death by wicked men, but rose from the dead with divine power and strength to offer eternal life and forgiveness of sins to everyone who would believe on him. So Lord God, today, would your name be honored would your good name be honored as we remember the significance of your resurrection? And would we be encouraged and built up with faith that we might learn to live a life that is worthy of your name and that finds great joy and true happiness in the way that you have designed us to live, living the resurrection life that Christ has risen to himself? Would we find that in our time today in Jesus' name? So over this Easter series, Redefining Happiness, we have been following the interaction that Jesus had with this person that we've come to know as the rich young ruler. Uh, we've learned that this young man had everything that his peers wanted, but still he felt like he lacked something. We've seen that he had a successful life. He had a respected life. He was doing his best to live a good life or what he perceived to be a good life. But even amongst all that he had, he still told Jesus that he felt empty. Jesus told him there was a way that he could made whole, but it kind of flipped his entire view of the world upside down. Even though we had everything by his own success and by his own effort, Jesus told him, go and sell that and come and follow me. And sorrowfully, the, the man went away and wouldn't accept Jesus' invitation. Jesus told him to stop trusting in his own way, go and sell, and to start following God's way, come and follow. And we've learned a few things as we've been studying this thus far. We've asked some questions that we've been able to answer from God's word. First, we ask, how can I finally be happy? And we learned that true happiness isn't found in achieving more things and better things. True happiness is found when we are made whole in relationship with God. Then we asked at our Good Friday services, why then can happiness and the pursuit of happiness be so difficult? And we learned that it's impossible to find it by our own effort. But what this text told us was that uh, we can only possibly be made whole in relationship with God when we are made new as children of God. And we are made new as children of God when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We are adopted into God's family and have the blessing of eternal life. Today, we have a third and final question that we want to answer. Today, we want to answer, what does true happiness actually look like? If I am made whole in relationship with God, if I am trusting in his way and, and not my way, then what will it actually look like? 
a lot of people trying to answer that question, what is happening in this look like. You can go to the self-help section of uh, Amazon or any bookstore when they're open and see a myriad of different ways. Uh, recently, I read uh, one book by best-selling author Mark Manson, and he understands the challenge of seeking happiness uniquely to the Western world that's really prosperous. In one of his recent books, he cites statistics from the World Health Organization and Time Magazine, and Mark Manson says this, quote, basically, we are the safest and most prosperous humans in the history of the world, yet we are feeling more hopeless than ever before. The better things get, the more we seem to despair. It's the paradox of progress, and perhaps it can be summed up in one startling fact. The wealthier and safer the place you live, the more likely you are to commit suicide. This is, a, this is a weird paradox. And he offers, from his view, this solution. He says, here's what a lot of people don't get. The opposite of happiness is not anger or sadness. If you're angry or sad, that means you still care about something. That, something, that means something still matters. That means you still have hope. No, the opposite of happiness is hopelessness, an endless gray horizon of resignation and indifference. So why do anything at all? I agree with his diagnosis, but because he's writing from a secular humanistic perspective, I disagree with his prescription. See, he suggests that there is a way to find hope. But he suggests that the way that you find hope is by synthetically fabricating your own narrative of hope to give you a reason to live. But there's no other event, there's no other story, there is no other fact of hope that can compare to the hope that's characterized during Easter and the week of Easter. That first Easter week, on that first day of that first Easter week, Jesus was welcomed into the city of Jerusalem as a liberator who would conquer and, and deliver Israel from the tyranny of Rome. But on Friday of that week, he was taken outside of the city by the same people who were celebrating him as a liberator, and he was crucified as a common criminal. It seemed like all hope was lost. But hope dawned when Christ rose on the Sunday of that week. And everything that could have overcome him, the humanity's sin that was placed on him, the wickedness of man that tried to squash him, he overcame. He overcame sin, he overcame wickedness, and hope is offered. We could sure create our own synthetic fabricated versions of hope, but today, let's consider the hope of Easter, the hope of Jesus, and see how in Christ, we can find a path to happiness through hope. True hope is rooted in the historically verifiable proof positive fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Hope is more than wishful thinking or a positive outlook. Christian hope is the expectation that things will get better because God keeps his promises, culminating in the promise that we will have eternal life because Jesus rose from the dead. Today, this final passage in our series, Redefining Happiness from Matthew 19, is going to give us three reasons for hope. Three reasons for hope that provide a path to true happiness. So let's read the 
extent of this whole text again as we have been doing over these past three services. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 to verse 30. This is God's word. It speaks to us today, and this is what it says. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Here, Jesus gives us three reasons for hope that provide a path to true happiness. The first reason for hope is the hope of new life. Jesus gives the hope of new life, and we see this specifically when he replies to Peter's question, what will we receive? And he says, truly I say to you, in the new world, that term is important. And then the last thing that he says in verse 29 that we will inherit eternal life. See, eternal life, as we've learned, means both abundant life in the present life and everlasting life in the afterlife. And we've recognized, though, during this time, this pandemic has made us keenly aware that life is not, supposed to, is not working as it's supposed to. Prosperous, prosperous nations like ours are keenly aware of what developing countries know all the time. We are a fragile people, and we live in a vulnerable society. But that's not the way the one true living God of the Christian scriptures designed our world and life in it to be. He created life to be abundant. God created life to be everlasting. God created everything good. And we might see glimpses of goodness now, but the pure goodness of God is, is lost in the fog of the brokenness of this world. And this world is broken because humanity is no longer living in a harmony with the God who created us. God created us in his image to live in relationship with him. There will be a day, though, where God will restore life to be as he designed it, and the pure goodness of his creation will be restored. Easter is proof of this. 
The, po- the power of God that restored Jesus to life after he died is the same power that will restore the goodness to the created order of this world. It's the same power that will restore us to harmony with God. It's the same power that will fix our brokenness and take us who are empty and make us whole. Our hope for a new world, a new created order, is the hope of Easter. So there's lots of reasons that can distract us from recognizing that we have hope. This pandemic can make us feel hopeless and despairing. Or even apart from that, failing health, failing finances, failed relationships. We know that the world is not working in the way that it's supposed to work. But the hope that we have to be able to live an abundant life, a good life, a happy life, with the hope that there will be a better life that is free from all the pain of this world, is the hope that Jesus rose from the dead. What Christ took to the grave and it seemed that he was overcome by, he was victorious over in his resurrection. And the reason the world is broken as it is is because of our sin, because we are not in harmony with God. But Jesus' resurrection is proof that the power of sin cannot overcome the power of God. Christians have the hope. Anyone who believes in Jesus has the hope that even though we feel the brokenness of the world now, we can still have a good life and a happy life now in Christ with a promise of eternal and everlasting life when Jesus comes again as he promised. The path to to true happiness is provided through the hope of new life. Jesus gives another reason for hope here. Yes, we have the hope of new life, but we also have the hope of a new home. Everyone has to pay some kind of cost to follow Jesus. And the cost is different for different people. For this gentleman that Jesus was speaking with, the rich young ruler, he would not pay the cost of giving up his trust in his success and his respect in his wealth, in his own effort. He wouldn't give that up. But if he did, he would have found so much more. Let's look at the text again, verse 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That promise specifically is just for the 12 apostles that follow Jesus, like Peter, James, John, and the rest of them. But here's a promise for us. Everyone who has left houses or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But the many who were first will be last, and the last first. See, true happiness looks like a new and true sense of belonging in knowing that in Christ, My longing and craving and desire for home and belonging is satisfied. It seems that Jesus is making a promise that he can't deliver at first notice. How? If if I had to leave my loyalty to my family for the sake of Jesus, how could Jesus deliver what he promised on here? He said if you leave house or brothers or mothers or sisters or fathers that you can receive a hundredfold. How can you receive a hundredfold mothers? 
Sometimes people do need to leave their family or leave their first loyalty to their family if they're going to follow Jesus. Uh, there are many people in our church who uh, follow different, um, who grew up in different religions, and their parents told them, if you uh, turn away from uh, our family religion to Christianity, you're no longer part of the family. And some people had to decide, my loyalty to Jesus is greater than my loyalty to family. Is Jesus saying that you're going to receive a hundredfold houses, that there's going to be more prosperity in following Jesus? Is he saying that he's going to be a hundredfold mothers? What's he promising here? What's he offering here? Well, Jesus is using ancient com- uh, concepts that are a little foreign to modern readers. There are a couple of important things to notice. First, notice the items that Jesus lists here. It starts with houses, it ends with lands, and then the other five things in between are relatives, family members, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children. We all long for a sense of belonging. We all long for home, a place with people who we consider family, who love us and accept us as we are. Lands and houses, these aren't just that we'll get more wealth, but these, this is a place. It's the people and the place where we belong and where we have home. Everyone desires a sense of belonging. And it's interesting that he lists seven particular things. So this is another ancient con- concept that is maybe foreign to modern readers. There are different types of people that others consider being in home and family. Other cultures really consider uh, cousins exceptionally close, aunts and uncles. Jesus doesn't mention these, but it's unique that he mentions seven things because in the Hebrew scriptures, that words or that number seven is a very symbolic number. The number seven represents completeness. It represents wholeness. See, you might not find your sense of belonging, your sense of home in your family. You might be pretty disconnected with your family, but maybe you find your sense of belonging in your wholeness through an online community or through your career, or maybe you found that through university, but ever since you graduated, you've been like really lonely. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you're gonna follow him, it means giving up something. Often that means our sense of belonging that makes us complete. And whatever that is, if you would give it up, you will find abundantly more in Christ that you could ever have from even what you thought made you complete and whole. Jesus says that you will receive a hundredfold more. Not that you'll have a hundred mothers, not that you have a hundred houses, but that whatever made you complete in a sense of belonging, and a sense of home, you will find exceptionally and abundantly more belonging to Jesus and knowing Jesus. The scripture even says in John 14 that if we love him and follow his way, he will make us his home, that God will be with us always, that he will never leave us or forsake us. Everyone is craving for this. Loneliness is a a pretty serious factor uh, in our day and age. Uh, the U.S. Surgeon General just a couple years ago called loneliness an epidemic. In uh, Britain, in the United Kingdom, 
you know how governments have like different ministers, like minister of youth, minister of finances, minister of health. In Britain, they have a minister whose specific job is minister of loneliness. I read an article recently that said one in five people uh, experience uh, severe uh, mental health because of loneliness on a regular basis. This is a serious issue in our age. It is expect exceptionally uh, serious young, amongst young people too. Uh, recently, uh, a very well-known artist named Billie Eilish released a song called Everything I Wanted, and this song kind of captures the anxiety of this idea. She's an 18-year-old singer. Recently, she won four Grammy Awards, 18 years old, and won Best Song, Best Record, Best Album, Best New Artist. And with all her financial success and her critical success as a teenager, like a lot of people in her age, she is still plagued with loneliness and a worry about belonging. In her song, Everything I Wanted, she starts off by saying, I had a dream, I got everything I wanted. Not what you'd think, and if I'm being honest, it might have been a nightmare for anyone who might care. In following interviews, she explains that with all her success, she still fears that she won't be accepted. And even though she's gained everything that she's wanted, she still has nightmares of her taking her own life because people won't accept her for who she is. But her hope in that song is the calming voice of someone who says, as long as I am here, no one can hurt you. And for her, she attributes that voice to her brother, the person who produces all of her music. Apparently, the success of tens of thousands of fans and the most coveted awards in all of music aren't enough to make her feel whole. Still, she longs to simply be accepted by one person for who she is. Don't we all? Home is a place where we belong with people that accept us for who we are. And we look for that in different places. It might be with our family, it might be with our kids, it might be with a spouse, it might be an online community, it might be your education, it might be your university, it might be a social lifestyle. God created us with a sense of longing. And without it, we feel empty. But honestly, are we being fair to ourselves? Are we being fair to others if we are trusting other broken people to fix our own brokenness? People will be taken away from us. People will fail us. People are broken and empty just like we are broken and empty. There's good news though, friends. True happiness comes from a sense of real hope. We can have the hope of new life, and we can have a hope of a new home in Jesus. If there was anyone who ever experienced loneliness, it was Jesus. On the third day of Easter week, Jesus was betrayed by one of his friends and abandoned by almost all others. The crowds that welcomed him in as a liberator cried out for his death. But worst of all, for the first time in his existence, God the Father turned his back on God the Son. God the Father and God the Son had existed together in perfect, loving harmony for eternity. But in that moment, the Father turned his back on the Son because the sin of humanity was placed on the Son. Our decision to turn away from God, sin, alienates us from the Father. But all of our sin and 
all that we deserved from being separated from the Father was born by the Son on the cross. He was alienated from his friends. He was crucified by his enemies. He was forsaken by the Father. This is the punishment that we deserve for our sin, for our choice to turn away from the Father. Jesus was an alienated, but when you put your faith in him, you will be accepted. Remember, all the sufferings caused by sin, the brokenness in the world, the brokenness in our hearts, the alienation we feel from true relationship and true belonging and not having a sense of home, all of that was put on Christ and it took him to the grave, but then Jesus rose from the grave. All of the power of sin that creates all of the problems in the world were overcome in Christ. And by faith in Jesus, we are made like him. We overcome as he overcame. We have life through him. We have a home by him. In him, we are accepted again by God. In him, we are made whole in relationship with God. In him, we have the hope of new life. In him, we have the hope of new home. The promise of Jesus is that finding our home in God is incomparably greater than finding our sense of belonging and hope from the things of this world. You could look for it in your spouse, and it's such a good thing to be able to have that great intimacy and exclusive relationship. You can look for it in your kids, and yes, it's good to have that nearness and that closeness and that love with your kids. You could look for it in your school. You look through it online. You could look through it in your career. But if we're looking for our sense of home and belonging in other broken people, we can never be truly made broken, or made whole. But if we looked for it in the God who created us, and we went home to our true father's house, then we will truly find a sense of wholeness and home that infinitely surpasses anything our world can offer us. This is the hope that provides the path to happiness a new sense of life, a new sense of home. And finally, this passage shows us that we have the hope of a new purpose. We have the hope of new life. We have the hope of a new home. And we have the hope of a new purpose. Let's read verse 29 and verse 30 again. It says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But the many who are first will be last and the last first. Hope provides a uh, unique security for the soul. Having hope gives us the confidence and the security that I know who I am. I know where my value is. So I can stop striving to make myself something great. And I can start focusing on living my new purpose by honoring the name of God and living for the good of others. But the disciples seem to miss this. They heard the promise of you'll have a new home. They heard the promise of a new world and they heard the unique promise that was given to them that when Jesus sits on a glorious throne in the new creation, they are gonna be on one of 12 thrones around him. But they kind of like skipped over that last thing Jesus said, the many who are first will be last and the last first. 
Instead of hearing you have a privileged position, you have hope so you don't need to work and strive yourself anymore. They heard, I have a privileged position, but there are 11 others who have a privileged position. I want position number one. See, just in the next passage in Roman, excuse me, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, two of the disciples asked their mom <laughs> to go to Jesus to try and jockey for a better position. Chapter 20, verse 20 says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And she said, and he said to her, what do you want? And she said, say that these two of my sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in my kingdom. See, our new purpose, when we have the security of hope, I, I know I have new life. I know I have a home. We are freed from focusing on ourselves so that we can live no longer for ourselves, but we can live for the honor of the name of the one who gave us new life and a new home and for the good of others so that they can find it themselves too. Jesus is offering the hope of new life and new home so that we can live for a new purpose. Insecurity is the greatest obstacle to be able to live an others-centered life of service. When I don't look for my sense of wholeness and my sense of happiness in God, when I look for it uh, in my own life, when I look for it in my own sense of belonging, it'll never truly fill us and make us whole the way we want. When we find our hope in God, we will be secure in God so that we can focus on others. When I find my wholeness in God, I don't need to rely on other broken people to fix my own brokenness. When I find my wholeness through God, I am liberated from focusing on myself so that I can focus on others. When I find my wholeness in God, I can take the last place and give others the first place because I know that my place is secure in Christ's place. When we hold on to the hope of new life, and a new home that is promised to us in the gospel, it provides us a sense of security that allows us to live out our new purpose, loving God and loving others. But it's going to be really hard to embark on that unless we have the security of real hope. So you could follow what the self-help authors are telling you. You could recognize that the diagnosis is hopelessness. That's our problem for not being happy. But you could give the wrong prescription. You could try and fabricate your own synthetic story to have your own reason for hope, but it will never truly fill you up. The story of Easter characterizes real hope. When all seemed lost, it wasn't. You, if you feel this Lack of security and lack of hope can have real hope that provides a pathway to a truly happy life where you truly have abundance now and you truly have a sense of belonging now and you truly have a new purpose now to do good for others. Maybe you've been connected to this in your life before, but now it's kind of slipped out of your grasp. Or uh, maybe you've never had it and you're wondering how you can connect to it. No other time of characterizes real hope than the first week of Easter. On the first day of that first week, Jesus was welcomed in as a liberator. On the Friday of that week, he was taken out of the city and murdered as a criminal. 
But on the next Sunday, he rose from the dead as king of all, Lord of all, and savior of the world. And if you would recognize that your way has not been providing you what you think it would, if you turn from that and believe that the way of Jesus is enough, that his death is enough, that his sacrifice and his resurrection is enough, then you will be made whole again. You will have the hope of new life, the hope of a new home and a sense of belonging, and the hope of a new purpose to focus on the good of others. When we have Christ, we have all we need. Let your confession today be the same confession that the Apostle Paul made in Philippians chapter three. I count all else as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Friends, let me pray for you now. Father in heaven, thank you for the hope that is offered that can allow us to live the life that we desire, the life that we crave. Thank you for the promise of eternal life that is secured in Jesus. Thank you for the promise of a, a new home and a new sense of belonging that we have in Christ. And thank you for the new purpose that we can have when we humble ourselves and seek the interests of others first. And thank you that we have this because of the good news of Jesus. Thank you that we can live a good life because he died and came back to life. Lord, would our confession, would our hope be that Christ is all I need and that Christ is enough. Thank you for this good news of the sufficiency of Jesus to satisfy our hearts. So to you, Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.